0: Welcome to The Room of Lives. I'm your host, Neil. In this second part of my conversation with philosophy professor Miriam, I ask her, why did you suddenly go off into the wilderness by yourself? And what was the internal shift that you experienced there? I talk about some changes happening lately in my own life, where it seems like I can sometimes feel the energy of trees. Then we talk a lot about vibes Particularly in the context of living in our city environments. So I'm curious a little bit about what was this shift in your perception? that happened like what was the nature of you staying in the wilderness like what form did it take and if you could describe what that shift was
1: (laughs) i can try Mm -hmm. um it's kind of hard to articulate but um so so let me just make sure i understand your first question what was the nature of my time in the Yeah, if you could like, tell what me was a little, little bit about
0: what was the conditions under which you decided to, and under what conditions? Like, what does it mean that you were in the wilderness? Like, right. where were you? How long? What was your life like? Uh, and then, if you could tell me a little bit about what kind of transformation it engendered.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so what I did essentially was during the year, mm-hmm. during the academic year, twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty one. Um, I, I sort of sublet my apartment and, you know, just left, left Austin and put all my stuff, um, in a car. Mm -hmm. And then I basically moved once a month. So I'd get a a month long rental somewhere that was near a wild place. Um, so it was like a a cabin or a, or an Airbnb or something like that, Mm. um, that had internet access. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I would live there for a month and you know i teach my classes and whatever um remotely but i would spend as much time as i as i could um in the wilderness so mostly it was sort of like you know day hike type stuff um though sometimes i did overnight overnight trips and camped and and backpacked and that kind of thing um solo solo Yeah. yeah And I'd never done anything like that before. Like I'd been like, I'd gone on hikes with friends here and there, but it was, Mm. you know, that was just sort of like a social casual thing, thing to, to do. Being out there solo. And I I would try and find places where I really wouldn't see people. Mm. And I would just spend, you know, long times in sort of silence. Um, And, You know, the first thing, the first time I, like, noticed that, like, something was feeling different was when I started feeling like I could hear silence in a sort of substantive way, if that makes sense. Like, it was like suddenly I was like, oh, there's no sound right now. And I, like, just wanted to sit there and listen to the lack of sound and it wasn't it didn't feel empty it felt full um and then you know the longer i spent in the in the wilderness the more i started feeling like really connected to life forms that weren't human you know like trees and and you know even stones and rocks and like i would say like one of the big shifts was thinking of my life as centered primarily in terms of like a network of relationships with other people Mm. and thinking like, Oh, people are just sort of one aspect of my place in the world. I'm, Mm. I'm even when I'm not noticing it, I'm in, I'm in relationship with trees through the way I breathe. And, and so, but like, I guess, there's the knowing that intellectually, but then spending all that time in the wilderness, just, I started like feeling it on a very sort of embodied level. And I just was like, yeah, I felt like I was like seeing the world really for the first time and sort of falling in love with the world and and, and the beautiful relationships and connections there are between, you know, not just the human, but also the, the non-human world. So I'd say that was like a big aspect of the shift. And then it, it kind of, it impacted ways I thought about things. Like I'm an analytic philosopher by trade, (laughs) which is very focused on like logic and, and sort of rational ways of thinking. And um, it's not that I don't think there's value in that, but, I started just feeling like, oh, there's the world is juicier than that. There's <laughs> just like more. There's there's so there's other ways of um, sort of getting your fingers into reality. Yeah. That aren't just intellectual. Yeah. And so that was kind Would of it be changed fair it.
0: to use the word energetic for that other the the dimension beyond the conceptual or intellectual like this connection and uh, transformation that you were feeling when you were in the wilderness Mm -hmm. this connection that you were feeling with the trees would it be fair to call it an energetic connection
1: I honestly don't know I mean Mm -hmm. can you tell me more about like what you think makes a connection energetic
0: Okay, so this is kind of like dovetailing into something that has been happening to me lately. Uh Over the past few months, I feel like there are some... uh, It's kind of hard to describe it in any other way, but I would just say there are some energetic phenomena that have started happening with me more and more frequently. And one of the things that I've noticed now that hadn't happened before is I think I am being able... Now, to sense the energies of trees.
1: Interesting.
0: When I touch them. Yeah. And uh, there have been a couple of different instances of this. And sometimes I don't even have to touch them. One time, uh, recently, I was in a jungle in Thailand, and I just raised my palms up in the air, and I closed my eyes, and I felt like I could, like, feel the energy, like, coursing... uh, Between the palm of my hands and the jungle. Wow. And I could feel... So when I say energy, what does that mean? Like, you know, you're sitting here, you have a certain energy now. Maybe you're uh, a little bit tired, maybe you're a little bit guarded. You're like, oh, this guy could still be weird. Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) whatever it is, you know. You have a certain energetic composition of your body. Um, Now imagine that's shifting. Like you're starting to feel different suppose you start feeling lighter and you start feeling a sense of relief or, you know, it's just like the way that you feel, mostly in your chest, Mm -hmm. I guess, if you have to pinpoint it physically, it shifts. And your energy can shift when you're in the presence of a person with a different energy. Like if there's a person Mm -hmm. with a very bright energy, you sort of feel it when you're around them. If if you're around a person with like a very kind of like dark energy, energy, you start to feel it because your energetic composition changes based on what you're around. And I started to feel that, I but see. in the presence of nature. I
1: see.
0: So, my, the latest one that happened was uh, I was just like riding around on my motorcycle and then I happened to stop near Barton Springs Pool and there's this big tree there called the monkey tree. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of the monkey tree? I've heard of it. Yeah, famous tree. So, I just like, I was like, hmm. That's a very big and kind of old tree. And something tells me that the older the trees, the more kind of strong and well-defined the energy. Mm -hmm. So I like parked my motorcycle and I just like kind of limped over to the tree because I still had this injury. And it was in the middle of the day and I was like, I just want to see what happens. Mm -hmm. And I like just touched my palm on the side of the tree And I closed closed my eyes, and in a few seconds, I was somewhere else. I was somewhere else. Like, I started feeling the energy of the tree start coursing through my body through the contact point, and it was a very kind of light, like, whooshing kind of like, like a like, I started feeling very light as if I was surfing. On, like, some kind of an electric wind somewhere high above,
1: mm.
0: and uh, it's very light, very diffuse. But there's this, like, just this mild buzzing or thrumming of electricity, like, mm. mild, it's like, zzzz. Mm. and it's <laughs> and it's very friendly, like, really, yeah. it's very <laughs> relaxing. It's yeah. like. It's like, here I am. Yeah, it, it's chill, dude. It's yeah. chill, you know? And so I just kept feeling it. I'm like, wow, what is this? This didn't used to happen. And it's very non-verbal, yeah. too. It's like not an analytical thing.
1: Yeah.
0: So I was just trying to draw maybe some comparisons to what happened with you.
1: Yeah, you know, I think... Some of the ways you were describing kind of resonated, but for me it's 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 so nonverbal that
0: yeah. it's
1: even hard for me to like attach the words like energy or yeah. or something to it. But certainly like I would spend a lot of time, for example, like just resting my hand on like the bark of a tree and just mm. feeling.
0: Yeah.
1: Um and, you know, the one thing you said about it being friendly mm. that was interesting to me, you know, generally, like, I don't know, when I was out in nature, like, I'd have all all kinds of different experiences. But for the most part, like, my experience of things like trees or, you know, other other parts of the natural world was as sort of friendly in some sense like like I was getting like good vibes you know Mm -hmm. um this past summer I took a trip to the UK and I was like I walked into some like forest there and this was the first time this had ever happened to me I was like it's like I am not getting good vibes like I felt like I had just like walked into a room of like unsavory people or something in a and forest, i was though. in a forest yeah mm. and i was like okay i think i actually want to not be in this space and i have no idea what it was it could have just been you know my own mood or or what but it just also made me think like there's so much about what's going on in in these forests and deserts and all of these different places that i don't understand and i don't know why different ones have different impacts Hmm. um so like the other thing for me about all of it is just like there's so much mystery there's so (laughs) much i don't yeah i don't know about what is going on there
0: And and when you say that there's like more juice in life i think the mystery is like a big part of the juice yeah <laughs> yeah. It's juicy because right. it's mysterious, yeah, you know? Yeah. So the analytical mind is always like, okay, put everything on the table, shine a huge white light on it <laughs> yes. and make sure we understand everything. <laughs> yes. Like, okay, we 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 everything we just know and then you're like, okay, so okay, now what next? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. the part the fun part of the mystery is that like you kind of know that is it's intrinsically mysterious. Mm-hmm. And that some of the attempts to unravel the mystery are going to fail. And it's like kind of misses the point. Yes. Like, hey, this is not the kind of thing that you do that analysis thing with. Yes. You're going to kind of miss the point. It's like a joke. Like if someone sits and dissects every joke and explains it, it's not going to be funny anymore. Yeah. So you could do it, but then it shifts into the parallel universe of analytics and you've lost something in the translation
1: yeah i i love that analogy to humor actually i think that's a great analogy because you know when i when i got back and i started talking to some of my academic colleagues about certain kinds of skepticism i have about this idea that we can really like reach the fundamental truths of the world through analytic thinking mm. they were like whoa that's so cool you should write a paper about that
0: because you're suspicious. Yeah, you should oh, write a paper
1: okay. about how you're suspicious, about whether these methods are the right methods yeah. to get at the truth. And that's kind of, you know, philosophers are... I love analytic philosophers. They're very... They're analytic and... in, But in, also very open-minded. Like, if someone wants to have a different position, they're like, great, let's hear all about it, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: But it was... I w- it felt a little bit to me like like explaining a joke like yeah i was like no i don't think i am gonna write a paper yeah. like <laughs> like
0: yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. and then they're like why won't you write a paper yeah and like you want to come to the dark side yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and i'm not giving you any more answers and they're like whoa that's so mysterious you're like yeah haha <laughs> 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 <h-> yes yeah <laughs> no i get it i get it yeah. that's kind of so You know, you said when you started living in the wilderness solo like this, Mm -hmm. you had never done anything like that before. Yeah. So what, was there something that precipitated this, Mm. where you went from never having doing this, having done this, to like, okay, I'm just going to go and live solo around. Why? Why did Mm. you suddenly decide to do that?
1: Well, let's see. I was at a sort of big turning point in my life. So I'd just come out of a 15-year relationship, somebody I was married to, Mm. um, and, you know, living in Boston and we decided to separate and I, you know, moved to Austin at that juncture. Um, and I was like just getting settled in and then, and this pandemic happened. Um, and it started by like just sort of me feeling kind of antsy during that early phase of the pandemic. Um, and I would take little trips out to the hill country and just like go swimming in lakes. Mm-hmm. And I was, I started feeling something in the lakes. Like I was just felt like I was, while in the lakes, like I was like, wow, this is very different from like being in a pool. Like there's like, I was experiencing, like, a sort of, like, feeling of warmth and Mm. peace. And I was just like, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll just spend the whole pandemic, like, swimming in lakes. Mm. And because there was nothing really, like, binding me to Austin at that point. I'd just gotten here, you know. Um, And so that was how the trip started. I just, like, was out in the hill country And I'd stay in little cabins and stuff that were near lakes. And I'd just go, you know, swim in the lakes. And it it kind of felt like nothing more than sort of like a, you know, a sort of glorified beach vacation or something. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, the weather got colder. And I was like, hmm, I don't think I can swim in lakes (laughs) any longer. (laughs) Um, And so I thought, well, where where else should I go? You know, I didn't have a place. Like, I abandoned my apartment. So... It's like, well, maybe I'll go see Big Bend, you know, I'd heard a lot about that. Mm. And then so I just started like walking around out in West Texas and that and that it almost felt like like I was being like seduced, mm. you know, into this world of of magic and mystery and and wildness. And uh so like it was very gradual, you know, it was like at first it was like, oh, I'll just go spend a weekend here. And then it was like, oh, this is really nice. I'll spend a little bit more time. It's like, well, maybe I should try something else. And so mm. the tone of the trip kind of shifted as, it, as time went on.
0: So you don't have to write a paper, but can you tell me a little bit about your views on why you feel that analysis is not going to lead us to the truth? Hmm.
1: It's and it's not okay that... if you say
0: like hand-wavy stuff. Okay. Without being, rigorous. you're not gonna like no. analytic
1: philosophy. No. Me? <laughs> no, no,
0: no,
1: no, no. Yeah. I. I mean, what I think is, analytic philosophy is. Um, it's basically a form of logic in the sense that it's like really interested in what kind of conclusions you can derive from certain sets of assumptions
0: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. using logic, essentially.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. And um, I think that what that, that can be very enlightening in the sense that like um, you might have some assumptions, things you believe, and you might not realize that from those assumptions follow something else that's quite surprising. And so you do analytic philosophy and now you've sort of changed your position. And I think mm. that's that's well and good. Um, it's not like that's misleading necessarily. But I think it's just limited in the sense that it's really like about just drawing out the consequences of things you already think. Mm. I think that So just to take one step slightly away from analytic philosophy would be the sciences where you're actually looking and touching and measuring the physical world Mm -hmm. and seeing what, what follows from that. And then I think the kind of stuff that happens, you know, in the more, let's just call them, you know, mystical realms. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's another it feels to me like it's just another way of accessing information and it's not the kind of information that you're going to be able to access by thinking about what logically follows from things you believe, because it's not about, it's about the world itself. Mm. Um, And, uh, you know, I started, I got into philosophy because I had this like obsession with truth Mm. and I just like, I needed to know the like fundamental truths about the world. And, you know, when I was 19 or 20 or something, I thought, oh, okay, well, this is, I was in a university and like, this was the department that does that. And so, um, so that's what I studied. Um, but I think that the sort of error was that I was like looking at like which department within a university was going to tell me about the fundamental truths and a university is is defined as a very specific mode of inquiry Mm. um it's basically a mode of um well I don't want to try and define what a university is but you know it's Mm. it's there might be ways of knowing things that just would never make their way into a university And so I think there's just certain kinds of limitations to what can be provided by by that context.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I had this obsession with truth also for like a long time in my life. I started a blog in 2005. Mm -hmm. And uh, (laughs) the name of the blog in the beginning, I don't know if this was the name of the blog, but I... It was, my blog was supposed to be about, like, my quest for the truth.
1: Oh, wow. That's and great. Said,
0: truth, the true version. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what, do you, what do you call it now? When you look back at something and you're like, what is it? Hindsight? No, no, not hindsight. Cringy. Oh, cringy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it feels cringy. Cringy in hindsight. No. Yeah. But, yeah, I had that obsession for a long time. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I got into physics because I thought, okay, this is the Mm -hmm. highway to truth. And I am kind of glad that I got into physics and not into philosophy because I do believe that, yeah, philosophy is just kind of like, you're just like sitting, a lot of it is just like you're thinking in your head, Mm -hmm. but you need data from the world. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the times when you interact with the world, the world shows you very surprising things mm-hmm. that you never would have come up with mm-hmm. no matter how smart you were just sitting at home. Mm-hmm. Because it's like constantly challenging. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was like, yeah, physics definitely. But then one more step from that is like, oh, there are certain things which... um, So the way that I might lay this out is philosophy is just pretty much like all theory and sometimes like... Like, no data. Mm-hmm. It's just theory. You know, premise to conclusion using mm-hmm. logic, it's all theory. It's just like, words on words, and you have like, a path from statements, beginning statements to ending statements. In physics, there's some kind of a loop between the statements and the data. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of a feedback loop, and something falls out the end. Mm-hmm. And But there's still theory mm-hmm. intermingled with experiments or data. Absolutely. There's still some theory there. You're Drawing some kind of curve through the data points.
1: Yeah.
0: And then there's a kind of learning where there is almost no theory left anymore. Yeah. Is you're just kind of floating in what is happening. Yeah. And the desire to make some kind of sense making whatever theory or story out of it. The more you try to do it, the more you miss out on what's happening. Yeah. So in that sense, there's this learning, or I don't know, even know if I can call it a learning thing, but whatever. There is this realm in which you are learning, I guess you could say you're learning. But in a way, that is not even stringing together in parallel, like a narrative about what is going on.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and so, I guess you could become wiser in some of these, like whatever but in a way that you can't write a paper about it, yeah, you know? And a university is for communicable knowledge, I think. That's a
1: great way of putting it. That's maybe one of, like, maybe that's the constraint.
0: Yeah. You come to university and say, I learned a lot from this, but not in a way that I can tell you or write down. Right. Then I'm like, okay, what do you do in a university?
1: Right. You're not going to get tenure,
0: that's for sure. Yeah. So I kind of understand what you're talking about. But I would say, personally, in my life, I used to be, like, very, like, very analytical at some... Well, I've gone through phases. But definitely a lot of my ego used to be in the intellect. And I was like, this is how you figure shit out about the world. And anything that is beyond this is, like, not real, really. They're kind of like delusions or something like that, whatever. Yep. And then over time, I've come to really notice more and more that the intellect's hold on reality is so tiny compared to reality itself and it's like a source of great excitement for me now i'm like wow yeah i am surrounded by the great infinite void of mystery yeah that is really quite exciting yeah um yeah
1: i love the way you described that Sort of transition from like philosophy to physics to the other, <laughs> yeah. as a like shift in the ratio of theory to data.
0: Yeah,
1: because I think ultimately, like people that are questing for truth, like what what is that really? The way I think of it is, it's it's like a desire to sort of make contact with what really is. Mm. And, um, you know, whenever you're getting to know anything, like I'm getting to know you, Mm -hmm. there's, there's like data coming in and then there's, you know, often very useful theories, you know, all kinds of background knowledge I have about people, about, you know, people that study physics, about people that do podcasts, it's playing a role in this. Mm -hmm. And then like, but there's something about the, like... The more in a sense, there is a way of getting into contact where you're you're getting less and less theory and what that means is that you're getting more and more just contact with what is yeah um, which is beautiful and wonderful and has mm-hmm. the drawback of not being communicable and you know various yeah. other things. Um, yeah so but yeah, I thought that was a really cool way of framing it yeah. I still can like get intellectually excited and engaged with colleagues about various philosophical issues, but somehow like it's lost its luster for me. I think, I guess what I feel like what's happened to me is just that it, I kind of see it for what it is and it just, doesn't seem very shiny. Yeah. Perhaps because, you know, of my own idealism about it, you know, I kind of like, it's a, it's a wonderful thing as it is, but I wanted it to be something that it that it wasn't you know yeah. like the the highway to truth as you put it. Um, so so what was your question? What would I do what instead? Would,
0: yeah Where do you in what direction do you feel drawn?
1: I mean, I feel like I'm getting in increasingly interested in the the concrete, world literally like highways mm. um, and and a lot about what I was describing before as like human habitat mm. and there is there is a lot there's a lot I do want to think about in that realm um, and the ways that human habitats can be thought of like ecosystems um, and whether, so there's questions, you know, in environmental ethics, that's a field of philosophy about like, what what makes an environmental, like an aspect of the environment valuable and worth, you know, trying to save, for example, from various forms of destruction and um, questions about, you know complex ecosystems like yes they're they're benef- they're important in the way that we need them for human survival but they're also they also seem valuable in and of themselves mm-hmm. um and so yeah i have questions about whether whether human habitats should be thought of in similar ways like what makes what makes a city valuable in and of itself mm-hmm. aside from the services that it, that it provides um And, uh, yeah, it's almost like I kind of want to think about and experience the human realm in a way that I felt and experienced the, uh, the wild, the wild realms. Yeah.
0: That's very cool that you went into this wilderness and one of the, one of the one of the aspects of the transformation was that you came back to care a lot about cities
1: <laughs> i know it's so ironic and you know it took time because my first reaction when i got here was like okay you turn i can't i can't live in a city like mm. i can't it's too ugly it's too noisy it's too crowded it's like i was just like this isn't for me and i kind of had to just like Say to myself like, okay, just give it, give it some time, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, see how you adapt, and then like this completely surprising thing happened, which is that I like started to see cities in this entirely yeah. different light and sort yeah. of fall in love with cities yeah. the way I fell in love with. Wild I would places. say it's the
0: best possible. It it's the best part. Po- like you know, I would have expected like you come from the. Wilderness and like, oh yeah, I felt all of these things. Uh Ah, what the fuck is this? This is a city. Let's get back to some. But to be able to think like, okay, how can cities become more like that? Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's really cool.
1: Yeah, and that's part of like, guess my why I feel so strongly about this highway is that like, if you took, I don't know, like if you took say a human body and you like tried to build a wall halfway through it. Yeah. That would, like, completely disrupt its functionality. Connectivity yeah. is so important to life. Yeah. And a highway is basically a wall. You know, we have a few holes in it for crossing. Yeah. yeah. But in so many ways, it's like a visual, an auditory, mobility. It, it in so many ways is a blockage. Yeah. And that's not healthy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of... And I think of ecosystems, in a way... As very structurally analogous to organisms, Um, yeah. So you know, this this sort of the way life thrives has parallels on many levels, I think.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is going to sound a little bit cuckoo, maybe, but I think like the different inanimate structures that we create, they have their own kind of vibe profile, also like um, highways especially ones where there's like a lot of cars going and then there's this sound constantly sh- 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 not very chill vibe not right <laughs> not, not a very chill vibe emanating from that you know yeah. it's like a very like business like this is just a conduit and you get in this metal thing and you go and you have to go fast also you can't yeah. stop pull over nothing you just go like sh- 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 one way and the other direction is just going sh- 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 Yeah, you know and uh even being around one it is a little bit hard like there is a section i don't know what this is but some days ago i was hiking with my friend and there's this part of the highway that crosses from one hill to another and the valley is just like green you know and right next to the highway there's a pedestrian thing to cross over that same very green forested valley i see it's part of the green belt i think i don't remember which uh-huh. exact area but we were walking on the passenger on the on the pedestrian part and surrounding us all around is this green forest but right next to us is this highway and there's this constant sound from the highway and i could tell that although it means nothing to me like it's just cars. They're just doing their thing. I don't have to even think about them. I can just be here. I couldn't. Yeah. There's something about that noise that like keeps the brain at a certain level of, okay, on alert. There's sh- shit happening, you know. Yeah. And So there is a certain vibe profile that comes out of the structures that we create, even if they're inanimate and what the intended purpose of those structures are. And when they're used in those ways, there's a certain vibe that emanates from, yeah. okay. The vibe of West campus. Yeah. <laughs> Very different yeah, uh, from the vibe of cherry wood. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah.
0: And, uh, yeah. So some of this is invisible and it's kind of hard to point out to people and say, you know, this is what ultimately a lot of this is about. Um, Because Some of these things are actually kind of subtle to say, if we don't expand the highway and instead do this, there are these pictures and words that I can tell you, but imagine the vibe. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What that place would be like. Can you imagine that? And some people are better than others at imagining like, oh yeah, that's a totally different vibe. And that would actually be a lot more conducive to existence as human beings in this space. Yeah. There will be some people who are like, I mean, I used to be one of these slobs. I didn't clean up my room at all. Mm -hmm. I was totally utilitarian. Right. When I was undergrad, (laughs) I would be in my bed in my dorm room and there would be no place to sit on the chair because it's just all my clothes. And then I would wake up in the morning, take the pile of clothes, put it on the bed and sit on the chair and just do my shit. And then in the evening, take the pile of clothes, put it on the chair and... I would be like why why would you even bother making your room pretty that's just for you know but then why have I done I've gone through a lot of trouble to like get these plants and do all of this stuff yeah. because over time I started realizing no it has a real effect on your mind yeah. the vibes of the place that you inhabit has a real day to day effect on your mind but it takes a it takes a certain degree of sensitivity to your own state of existence, Mm -hmm. like how you're feeling and also about, oh, what is the vibe of this place? In order to start being able to tell, oh, this actually makes a difference. Yeah. For a lot of people I know, they don't even believe that it makes a difference. Uh But I know that it makes a difference because I notice them acting a certain way when they're in their like whatever filthy apartment (laughs) versus when they're in like a nicer place And I noticed they want to be in the nicer place longer, but verbally you ask them, they're like, no, why should I clean up? It doesn't even matter. Blah blah. Like, okay, there's a nonverbal part of your mind that is registering all of this, but it doesn't get to pass on its message to the verbal part because the verbal part somehow doesn't see what that, you know, but, but, but it's one of this, like, you know, energetic things. So it's going to be harder to argue to a person like that why you should care so much mm. about this particular environmental factors and all of this stuff because they're, it's much easier for them to see like kind of like blunt things like, okay, many more cars per hour. I totally get that. Right. You know, that's a very like not subtle. That's a very, you know. Yeah. So some of these things I think are a little bit harder to argue. Mm-hmm.
1: But, you know, interestingly, with the highway, I actually, I don't think it's that subtle because, like, for example, everybody hates sitting in traffic. Yeah. So if you tell someone, like, this is going to make traffic worse, like, you don't need to be feeling into subtle vibes. But, I mean, it is interesting that everyone hates sitting in traffic. I mean, I've thought about that before. Like, what is so bad? Like, you can listen to your music. You're in a temperature-controlled space. Like, you can listen to books. Like... What's so terrible about it? But people hate it. Yeah. Um, So, and, you know, nobody wants to, like, take a walk along the highway. So I feel like there's <laughs> some things that are just, like, not <laughs> subtle. People are like, no, this is not, like, I don't want to be in this environment. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. We're actually... um There's a research scientist at MIT who's working on a project where, like, she's interested in how people start to see car dependency versus sort of walkable and, like, alternative to car dependency lifestyles um, just by showing different images and the way that, like, seeing an image of a congested highway for example Mm. versus seeing an image of a like beautiful you know pedestrian friendly environment Mm. with you know cafes and various things like that um the way that experiencing those two images impacts the way people think about what kind of their views basically on these issues and uh i think a lot of it is very sort of biological and and like, people are just register on some level that
0: mm-hmm.
1: that like environments that are full of cars are not pleasant. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's probably a lot of it is subconscious and, and various things. And so, anyway, that's, I think, part of her, her project is to see, like, how those subconscious elements might be accessed to impact the way people think about policy decisions on a more conscious level
0: yeah but sometimes some of these things i think you might not be liking something that's your environment but it's hard for people to say i think that's what it is yeah but only when you remove that factor then people are like oh yeah now i feel a lot more relaxed
1: mm-hmm. um absolutely
0: but when it is ongoing i think sometimes it's hard for people to even identify that this is the reason
1: yeah And I think, you know, a lot of people in North America, you know, they haven't ever really seen an alternative to this lifestyle.
0: So these pictures that you're talking about, it's like showing them, oh, this is what it would look like. But a lot of people have to be shown pictures in order to, for their mind to be like, oh, 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 that's what it would look like. Yeah. This is where the imagination... Is important, which is what I was talking about. Is like, oh, you have to sit and kind of imagine Mm -hmm. what that world would be like.
1: Yeah.
0: And if the only kind of pictures that you've got are pictures of, oh, how cool and shiny big highway is going to be, then you haven't really exercised your imagination in the other direction so Mm -hmm. much. So... Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, city layouts in the United States in general are a little bit different. So I don't know how well it prepares the average citizen's imagination for like, oh, what could be an alternative to cars? Yeah. But I mean, for example, I come from India. Cars were not like that common, like personal cars. Now they're becoming more common in India, but I grew up in a city where personal cars were very rare. I see. It was a very busy city. Yeah. A lot of people having to go from point A to point B. It was all like public transport, various scales of it. (laughs) There were no highways going through the city. Yeah. What uh, city did you live in? Calcutta. Uh Uh-huh. Or it's called... And was it,
1: what kind of public transport was it primarily?
0: Imagine New York. Uh Uh-huh so it was basically like subway buses there's ferry also mm-hmm. and then there's like small little things like you know how there are tuk tuks mm-hmm. things like that there are also like things like pedicabs mm-hmm. um yeah yeah so all kinds of stuff like that so to take someone from that population and say, oh yeah, no, cars are really essential. We need to do this, be like, what? No, I don't understand right. why cars are so essential. So that's a whole other paradigm of imagination. Not yeah. really imagination. But if you have lived there, then yes. it would be like, okay, yeah. the thing that is sounds absurd to me yeah. is everyone having all these cars and taking up all of this valuable land in the middle of the city to make... What? Parking garages? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Right. But then over here, if you tell people... Hey, we need to become less car reliant. A lot of people, are like I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, like basically, like you're, talent, you're preventing tone, me you know? from
1: getting around, or like yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So it's a lot of things. It's like an ecosystem, like you're talking about. A lot of factors that build on top of each other, and at some point, the whole system becomes different enough so that it just becomes obvious. Like, oh, ah, uh, this is what you meant. You yeah. Know. But while it is the way it is, I think. A lot of people's imaginations are going to be limited by just what they have seen, you know, so far. Thanks for hanging out with Miriam and me today in the Room of Lives. Take care. Until next time.